The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. I want to invite everybody to stay after Mass for a few moments this morning. Again, we're practicing some of the Mass parts will be beginning in the Easter season. So it's a couple of the short ones, uh, so we're not going to keep you too long, but we do ask you please to stay. In the scriptures we just heard from St. Paul to Timothy, he reveals to Timothy three realities. First, that God has a plan for him, that it involves some hardship and it involves his holiness. And he reveals them not only to St. Timothy and his particular mission, but he reveals them also to us and says exactly the same. That to each of us, God has a plan, it involves some hardship, and it involves our holiness. A lot of times whenever we say God has a plan, we use it in those moments that are the most difficult. The moments where tragedy strikes or something is so beyond our understanding that we can't make sense of it in any way, shape, or form, and the best we can do is God has a plan, and we leave it at that. And that's indeed true. God does have plans. But there's also a recognition that as St. Paul describes here, that his plan of God is not always exactly followed. Indeed, St. Paul describes it as according to the Lord's design. The Lord designs it one way, but being sinners, we don't always follow it perfectly. And so there's this recognition that we, though imperfect, still have an invitation to follow after the Lord and to try to fulfill this plan of God that he has for us. And while we can look at the big picture and we can look at the the things of what is God desiring to do in the big picture of things, our our vocations, our, our large you know, our large things of life, our jobs, our homes, these kinds of things. It's also to recognize that the plan of God is not limited to big things, but oftentimes is present in the smallest of details. Indeed, I believe that every single one of us has a plan of God for us every single day. 
that there's something that each one of us is entrusted with by God, some particular task that every single day we're called to carry out. It could be simply as offering a prayer for someone, being present to somebody, offering a kind word, simply a smile, some kind action. Something that the Lord desires of every single one of us, each and every day. And it's our task to do our best to listen to the Lord through the course of our day. And hopefully by the end of it, whether we know it or not, to have completed our task. To have fulfilled the design of God. And so we have a plan for us. It involves holiness and hardship. When we hear the word holiness, a lot of times... We kind of gun shy at that reality because when we think holiness, we think of the saints. And when we think of the saints, we don't think of the normal saints who live just a good earthly life. But rather, we think of the saints who do incredible things. We think of St. Padre Pio who bore the stigmata, the wounds of Jesus, in his hands, his feet, and his side for some 50 years. Or we think of our Blessed Mother who remained sinless through the course of her entire life. We think of other saints who had these incredible gifts. And we think, well, if that's holiness, that's not for me. Because I can't do that. And naturally so. None of us is called to be sinless, like our Blessed Mother was sinless. Presumably none of us have the stigmata. Presumably none of us are levitating in our prayers, floating off the floor because of the level of holiness God has granted to us. But he does still call us to holiness in our own manner. Holiness is nothing other than simply being who God created you to be. Matthew Kelly describes it as becoming the best version of yourself. And it's a little more stomachable term for us than holiness. Here's a little less spiritual baggage. But it's an invitation for us every single day to wake up and to be the best person that we can possibly be that day. And we can't do it by ourselves. We have to rely upon the Lord. Because he's the one who gives us the strength. And he's the one who's called us to the holy life even to begin with. And so how do we begin living a life of holiness? How do we become the best version of ourselves? The church provides us a general starting point. Although the path of holiness is unique to every single one of us. Just as no two of us have the same fingerprints, so too also no two of us have the same journey to heaven. Sure, we can have a lot of similarities and we can have many things in common. They can sound alike and look alike in so many ways, but every single one of us is unique in the way that we get to our kingdom and to the heaven that awaits. But the church, again, does provide an encouraging starting place for us. Traditionally, we refer to them as the precepts of the church. They are six commandments of God given to us, specifically through the church, to be able to help us to walk in the path of holiness and truth, to be filled with the life of Christ. The first precept of the church is that we attend Holy Mass every weekend, every Sunday, and every day of obligation. So that's 52 Sundays a year. We have, I think, six or seven days of obligation, depending on the particular particular year and the ways in which they fall. Sometimes there are less because they fall on Sundays or such. But roughly 56 to 58 times a year, we have an opportunity to attend Holy Mass. 
I say an opportunity because while we have an obligation, what a joy it is to be able to come to Mass, to be able to come to this great mystery, to come and enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist, to hear his word proclaimed to us, hopefully to have a good homily as well, to be able to worship in the Christian community, to lift up our voices in speech and in song, and to praise our God with one another, being built up as a community, not just individuals along our way. And so the church tells us to go to Mass every week and every Sunday. The second precept is that the church tells us that we must receive Holy Communion at least once a year, typically in the Easter season. Traditionally, this was referred to as one's Easter duties. In the past, and in some cultures even today, there's a reluctance to go to Holy Communion often. And they would abstain from Holy Communion for years at a time. If you look back in some of the 17 and 1800s writings of some of the saints, they were, it was remarkable that they went to communion every Sunday. They were like the holiest of the holy, that they went every single week. And so there was this temptation to stay away from Holy Communion because the Eucharist is God. And so people were afraid to enter and to receive unworthily. But the church in her wisdom said, we know we need to go at least once a year to be able to receive the grace of our Lord Jesus in the sacrament at least once each year. And while certainly that seems for us a rather small reality, a rather small requirement, it is the small requirement. But the Lord encourages us always to go more, to go further and to receive the Holy Eucharist as often as we are able. If we are in a state of grace to receive every Sunday, even the weekdays, to be able to attend Holy Mass and to know the gift of Christ, the gift of himself and his flesh and his blood given to us. The third precept of the church is that we make an annual reconciliation in the sacrament of confession, at least once a year. That may come as a surprise to some, because in the past we've heard that confession is something that we used to do, but it's kind of gone off the tracks. If you've heard any of my homilies, you know that that is quite the, <laughs> quite the untruth, being as I preach about confession every few weeks, it seems. But there is this invitation that the church tells us to come to confession at least once a year, to be able to have a good spiritual cleansing of our soul, to make our peace with God and to allow his grace to come and to rest in our hearts. And indeed, as I've also mentioned, while we're only required to come once a year, certainly it doesn't hurt to come more frequently, even to come once a month and to allow the state of our heart to remain pure, to remain strong and to remain clean for Christ Jesus whom we receive. The fourth precept of the church is that we are to provide for the needs of the church. A lot of time when we hear provide for the needs of the church, we immediately think we've got to put money in the collection basket. And we do. To the extent that we are able, each of us, myself included, is obligated to provide for the needs of the church in a financial manner to make sure we have lights and water and the things that we need to continue to take care of the facilities that are entrusted to us, this beautiful house of God. But even more so is to recognize that the needs of the church are not just financial, they're also spiritual and practical. That as a church, we need people to continue to work for us and with us. We need musicians and we need singers. We need lectors and altar servers. We need ushers and those who care for the house of God in keeping it clean and keeping it stocked. We need ministers who are people to go and to preach and to teach 
who are catechists, leaders of adult Bible studies and such. But not only the things that happen on our church grounds, but the things that happen outside of our church grounds. Because remember that the church is not just a physical location, it's also a body. The church is you and me. The church is every Christian, every Catholic in the world. And to the extent that they have needs, we have an obligation to provide. To the extent that there is a brother or sister in our community who is in need, our job is to respond in whatever way is necessary for us. So we provide for the needs of the church. The fifth precept of the church is that we are to observe the laws of fasting and abstaining. On two days a year, we are required to fast, as you remember, on Ash Wednesday and on Good Friday. Again, I reiterate my encouragement not to have Good Friday crawfish boils. But also on the Fridays of Lent, we have the abstaining from meat. On an interesting side note, some of you may, uh, may know that St. Patrick's Day falls on a Friday this year. And so that's one of the big things is there's always the question of, is the bishop of the particular diocese going to prohibit the, uh, per, you know, prevent uh, the Irish from eating their corned beef sandwiches and such? Uh, so there's always the, you know, great, great wonder and, and speculation. Um, and I was, I was looking at a list the other day of all the dioceses throughout the U.S. that have dispensed Catholics from the obligation to abstain from meat. So basically, this coming Friday, for those dioceses that permit their Irish Catholics to have their corned beef sandwich and their nice Guinness brew. And so I looked on the list and I went down all of the dioceses and I noticed that not one of the seven dioceses in Louisiana has dispensed from the obligation to abstain from meat this coming Friday. And I laughed to myself, because apparently the Louisianans really don't have a problem with the abstaining from meat on Fridays, right? Because we're all looking going, y'all, we got seafood, we're not fighting for corned beef, you know, we're, we're kind of good where we are, and no need, to, no need to give us dispensations, huh? But there's this reality that the Lord still invites us uh, to be able to, to fast and to abstain throughout the course of the church year, and also the, the Fridays outside of Lent, to abstain from meats. Uh, or to at least offer some suitable penance in exchange. And so the last thing is the sixth precept is to honor the marriage laws of the church. And while that seems kind of an odd one to throw in there, it is one that's particularly important for us today, as the reality of marriage continues to be kind of watered down in a certain sense, as the laws of our country, the understanding, even the experience of marriage uh, has greatly changed in the life of the church and in the world uh, in the past 50 or so years. Uh, And so it is something that we are to observe the laws of the church, that if we are married, we're married in the church. And so there's this invitation for us to be able to enter in married life into the sacrament, a sacrament that gives grace. So each of these six precepts, they encourage us in holiness, but honestly, every single one of them also can be a bit of a hardship. That being able to make it, make an effort to be at Mass every weekend can be a bit of a difficulty sometimes for us when we have to say no to other things, to fight against so many inclinations and temptations in ourselves to go to confession, to be able to admit our faults, to provide to the needs of the church sometimes pushes us a little bit. Fasting and abstaining, certainly we know that even though we got the seafood, still sometimes, oddly as it is, we only crave cheeseburgers on Fridays and Lent. I don't know about y'all, but that's a thing that I have. And of course, the observance of the marriage laws of the church comes with its hardships as well. Not that marriage itself is a hardship, but 
observing the laws sometimes can be. And so these are a starting points. If we're curious about how it is that we can live a life of holiness, how is it that we can become the best version of ourselves, these are good starting points for us to contemplate. If we haven't done them, if we're not pursuing them actively, then certainly to encourage you to do so. But if you are doing them, if you've already checked off all six off the list and you go, okay, we're on a good track, praise God. But you're not done yet. (laughs) Again, this is a starting point. And for the next piece, the next step beyond that in discerning how to become the best version of ourselves, I would encourage you to go back and spend some serious time in reflection this week on that first thing that St. Paul points out to Timothy. That God has a plan. And not only that God has a plan, but God has a plan for you in particular. That every single one of you has places, has people, has opportunities to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread the love of our Savior, and to spread the good news of our faith that someone else doesn't. That's your share of the gospel. And that's your share of the hardship that the Lord invites you to pick up and to journey through the course of the week. That daily journey. Sometimes there's a temptation in some Catholics' minds that, that Father is supposed to take care of evangelizing. That Father is supposed to take care of, of the teaching and, and, and education of the faith. That it's Father's job to make converts. Thankfully, this idea is falling by the wayside. Because the reality is, it's not Father's job. It's our job. You and me both. The vocation of the priest is to be of service to the laity. My job, essentially, is to do my job well enough that you can do your job well, too. To be able to give you, as best as I am able, every tool for you to be able to go forth and to live your vocation. To become the best version of yourselves. I recognize that in a very concrete way, I'm not able to be in the places where you are. When I go to the schools, there's a recognition that indeed Father can be welcomed, but there's also a little bit of a distance. The teenagers don't immediately open up to the priest and tell them everything in their heart and their life. But as a student, they do. That in your workplaces, there are people who speak to you about the things of the faith that would never speak to me. And so you have the privilege and the opportunity to be able to speak back. There are friends and family of yours who are struggling in faith, maybe who have left the faith, who are kind of lukewarm, who are maybe just simply struggling with one particular aspect or having a tough time in prayer. And it's not I who can do anything. It's you. Because you're there with them. They're in your homes. They're your family. In these and so many ways... You have access to every single person in the world around us, some of whom I don't even know. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is spread by you. The love of Christ is spread by you. And what a gift to be invited to join in the plan of God, to take part in the salvation of souls. And imagine the day Imagine the day that Christ calls us to himself. He calls us to the kingdom to welcome us to the reward prepared for us. 
And to reflect upon the reality that Mike, Abraham, and Sarah in our first reading, there also too can be a number of people who experience blessing through us. Contemplate seriously the joy of gazing upon the face of our Savior in heaven. That same Savior who reveals himself today in the transfiguration, who reveals his glory and his radiance. Imagine looking upon him with all the joy in your heart and your soul and to look around you and to be surrounded by so many brothers and sisters whom you have helped on the way to know the Lord Jesus. Those for whom you've borne the share of the hardship of the gospel to become the best version of yourself so that Christ might be able to speak to them. And as you look upon them, to turn back to the Savior with a smile on your face and to say in truth and in peace, Lord, it is good that we are here.